You're listening to the Super Talk podcast, produced by the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, shaping profit to member super. Hello and welcome to Super Talk. My name is Mel Burks and I'm the General Manager of Advocacy at AIST. Today we'll be discussing the outlook for emerging market debt. And joining me is Radhika Glavin, Head of EM Corporate Fixed Income with Inside Investments based in London. Could you outline briefly for me the makeup of the EMD market and which component you see as the main opportunity for investors? Absolutely. There are three main asset classes within the EM universe. You have the emerging market hard currency sovereigns at $1.3 trillion, EM hard currency corporates at $2.5 trillion, and local currency denominated sovereigns at $10.5 trillion equivalent. Within the EM universe, we see the main opportunities in EM hard currency corporates for three main reasons. One is big size, liquidity and ease of access. Two is diversified composition, both in terms of countries and sectors. And three is better risk adjusted returns compared to other EM asset classes. And what I mean by that in terms of size, EM corporates have been the fastest growing EM asset class over the last 10 years, going from 700 billion in 2010 to two and a half trillion currently, which translates into a 20% compounded annual growth rate. That is twice the size of EM hard currency sovereigns at 1.3 trillion. Also, issue sizes are significant. And on average, they are larger than, say, U.S. high yield, which translates into much better liquidity. Some of the EM companies are the biggest in their sectors globally, whether that's mining, oil and gas, protein, which means significant presence in bond markets as well, and again, improved liquidity. Also, most of the hard currency EM corporate bonds settle on exchanges like Euroclear, so you do not have to have special local settlement accounts like you do for local currency sovereigns. In terms of diversified composition, you have roughly 65 countries with no one country dominating as maximum country presence in the index is capped at 10%. As you know, for example, in EM equities, you have China dominating with 20%. So it's a more diversified country composition. Also, when it comes to sector breakdown, it is very well diversified too. So it's very similar composition to the developed market credit indices. In terms of uh, risk adjusted returns, EM corporates have exhibited more stable returns and low volatility over the last 10 years. Partly because you have no local currency component, it is all dollar denominated, And as you know, most of the time, local currency is the most volatile aspect of investing in emerging markets. And partly because of a more stable investor base, as over the years, local investors have come to dominate it. More than 50% is owned by local pension funds, asset managers, banks, and they are more stable and longer term in their investments. Yeah, that's really interesting, that diversification angle. And I guess it leads to my next question is, do you think that the EMD corporate markets 
well understood and if not what are the key reasons uh, Australian superannuation investors should consider it and what sort of myths do you think we need to bust? The first one would be size. I think mm-hmm. most of, of the investors are not aware how fast the asset class has grown. As I mentioned, it's two and a half trillion dollars. That's twice the size of the U.S. high yield market, which is at one point two trillion. It's as big as euro investment grade credit. Also, there's a mistaken belief that it's mostly junk, that it's mostly high yield, when in reality, it is actually predominantly investment grade. About 58% of the asset class is investment grade, and hence average rating is investment grade. Um, I also mentioned the the less the low volatility uh, within the um, universe because of no, no local currency component. And most importantly, they investors everywhere, not just Australia, they don't realize that EM corporates exhibit better fundamentals than the global counterparts for the same rating. And what I mean by that is that if we were to compare apples and apples, so we look at two similar rated companies in emerging markets and developed markets, the EM company would have lower debt levels than the US or European company with the same rating. For example, an average emerging market investment grade company has a 1.5 times net leverage. An average US investment grade company has a leverage of 2.5 times and European investment grade 3.5 times. In high yield, it's a similar picture. An average emerging market high yield company is 2.9 times levered, whilst an average American high yield company is 4.6 times levered and European high yield company is 5.1. So again, for the same rating, you get lower leverage. What drives that difference in leveraging, do you think, across those different markets? Uh, the, the main the main driver of uh, improved fundamentals is they most uh, particularly over the last few years emerging market companies have not been borrowing for m a activity like some of the us or european but just for refinancing and a lot of issuance that we have seen over the last few years has been refinancing which means that in terms of increasing net leverage, it is lower than it would have been as the, if they were to borrow outright. So, for example, they would do liability management exercises like issuing longer maturity bonds in order to tender and call the shorter maturity, thus extending the debt maturity profile and keeping the overall leverage um, manageable at manageable levels. It's a really, it's just a really interesting and noticeable difference, isn't it? So, you've said that it's had this huge growth, which is incredible. Who, who is actually investing? Everyone, <laughs> because because of the attractive fundamentals, but also very attractive global relative value. As I already mentioned, the majority of the investor base is locally based. So, fifty-three percent of the asset class, on average, is owned by local investors. That number varies by regions. In Asia, for example, you have eighty percent of the Asian credit credit owned by local investors. In Middle East, you have forty percent. In Latin Latin America, is slightly lower at twenty-six, but on average, is fifty-three, which is a more stable because 
they understand their own markets and they're more long term in their view. They're not as, as fickle, so to speak, as, as uh, crossover investors. That said, we have seen increased interest from crossover investors, whether it's U.S. investment grade, um, European investment grade coming to the asset class because of the better, better fundamentals and also attractive relative value versus uh, their own sectors. Uh, you also have the dedicated emerging market investor base growing strongly over the last few years. So that is a dominating presence as well. It's mm, really very interesting. So obviously the last 12 months have been quite uh, remarkable, I think would be a word we could use. So in terms of the COVID health crisis and the ongoing impacts, has that improved the attractiveness of the EMD corporate segment relative to developed markets? And if it has, why is that? Yes, absolutely. Well, for first reason, the main reason is that the difficult times uh, that the markets everywhere have gone through last year have given EM corporates to uh, a chance to prove their resilient credentials. Uh, this is best illustrated by default rates. The default rate in EM high yield corporates last year was only three and a half percent. This is only half the rate of the defaults we've seen in US high yield at 6.8 and a fraction of the, high, of the default in EM high yield sovereigns, 22 percent. Mm. The default rate is also much lower than in previous crisis. In 2010, after the global financial crisis, default rate reached 10%. And in 2016, it was 5.2. So again, lower default rates have increased their attractiveness and proven their resilience. It's Of, of course, you already mentioned that with core um, developed markets, rate interest rates very low everywhere. And I'm sure you know the numbers like 17 trillion of negative yielding bonds globally right now. This has intensified the search for yield behavior. Mm -hmm. So we are seeing very strong inflows into the asset class because of the strong fundamentals and attractive global relative value. Another reason for um, attractiveness is a bigger emphasis on ESG. As everywhere else, not just in EM, we have seen an increase in ESG issuance. In, in fact, even in our corporate strategies, which are not ESG driven, we at, at the moment we own up to 10% of either green social or sustainability bonds, whether that's Brazilian biofuel company, China property companies, but that's increased demand and as a result, supply of ESG issuance, which is also attracting you know, investor investor inflows from other asset classes. Mm, it's sort of expanding the appeal, I guess, by by doing that. So interesting, Absolutely. obviously, yeah, COVID was obviously the big news for last year, but it wasn't the only big global news. We obviously had an election in the US. So I'm interested, uh, has the change of administration had an impact on the um, AMD corporate segment? And if so, what's the, the impact been? The impact has been more in terms of sentiment uh, towards EM more broadly as an asset class. Mm. The, the most important thing is that the new U.S. administration is bringing a more predictable policy, both in terms of trade, which obviously is very important with EM overall and EM corporates in particular, but and, and, and just a day-to-day -day, uh, day -day, uh, administration. So 
the this has lowered the risk premium for EM assets overall and has made it easier to well to trade <laughs> and mm. and to and to adjust the risk return for 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 asset classes as over the previous four years EM asset classes overall were trading with a higher risk premium because of this unpredictability factor we just didn't know which country will be targeted next how when and we don't have that anymore does the role of China, I mean, China obviously are quite interventionist at the moment, um, not the same obviously as the US, but we do have kind of, uh, you know, we've experienced um, bans on various uh, things being imported into China and they can be a bit unpredictable. Does that influence the market as well? And if so, again, what, what influence is it having? Yes, it does, although not to the same extent as, uh, as US. Uh, the biggest impact of China on EM economies and companies has been through increased demand for imports or, or rather EM exports, whether that's um, indirectly uh, impacted EM companies through stronger EM growth as a result of you know, China recovering from the pandemic very quickly and increasing their demand for commodities, which is obviously a big factor for EM countries, or just outright buying more EM products like Brazilian beef, mm -hmm. uh, Brazilian iron ore, Chilean copper, or Mexican petrochemicals. So for us, for emerging market corporates, the impact is more has not been obviously as big as it is for other countries like Australia. Mm, no, that's really interesting because well, it's a kind of an obvious statement, but if you stop buying Australian beef, you do have to buy it from somewhere else because people are still going to want to eat beef in China. So there's always these alternate sources of those um, resources, etc. So that yeah. seems to be flowing through into the EM market. So I'm interested, Radhika, if you could say to the superannuation investors in Australia, the corporate investors here, the one or two key takeaways for our super fund investors over the say next six months in relation to EM corporate market segment, I guess, particularly or more, more generally EM, what, what is it that you'd want them to take away in when they're thinking about assessing investing in this market? It's a big and liquid asset class. It provides very attractive valuations versus other asset classes, whether that's US or European similar rated um, com uh, companies, ease of access and also diversification. It, it is very well diversified both in terms of countries and sectors. For more episodes of Supertalk and for more information on the work of the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, visit our website at aist.asn.au and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast.